created live on Fireside. All righty. I am so excited about this because I am obsessed with Sarah Ferris. Oh my gosh. Welcome to YNS Live. And um, I guys, I can't wait to hear this story because I know a little bit about it, but I don't know all of it. And so I am excited to introduce you to one of our own. Sarah Ferris, how are you? I'm so well. Thank you very much for having me on Fireside. Very exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's going to jump in to tell us all about what she is doing because there's, I, I can't even keep up. I've been diving into some of her shows. I've met her on other platforms. Um, Sarah, you really are, and I know you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you keep saying this. You really are amazing. And I just um, absolutely have been fascinated kind of following your journey, but I wanted to have you. Um, thanks guys. I wanted to have you on the show because I want to know like how it all started. Yeah, I think it definitely needs a rewind to start at the beginning because it is not. I mean, sometimes I'm just like, well, how did I end up here? Um, And you're right, I am doing so much. Uh, And the other day, can I just say before I started that, uh, please, I realized how much time I'd been spending on Fireside when I was walking my dog and I started humming a tune and I was like, and then I went, I'm actually singing the weight bot. I'm singing the weight bot of Fireside. (laughs) I went, intervention time, definitely need to pull back a bit. But, um, yeah, so I'm Sarah Ferris, and uh, for those of you who don't know me, which is probably most people, (laughs) um, I fell into podcasting in a really, really weird way, and it was because my little sister Emma uh, found herself dating a serial con man, and, uh, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. so crazy, yeah. I know. Um, and I was a real true crime podcast addict, like I'd binged everything. So uh, when it happened, and I'll go back a little bit to the story in a minute, but when it happened, I kind of thought, this is a story that needs to be told. And I don't know how to make a podcast, but bloody hell, I'm going to give it a nudge. <laughs> right. And and that's what I did. And I sort of spent nine months in this studio, which is my lounge, Uh you're getting really across the velvet rope here, Juliet. Um, yeah, and, I love it though, please. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I just spent nine months kind of teaching myself how to how to podcast and how to create it on GarageBand and how to weave the story together. So it was a real learning curve. But um, yeah, that was my very first podcast, Conning the Con. And I feel like it's, I mean, I feel like it's for all of us that started a podcast. I mean, I feel like it's a learning curve, for all, right? And then all of a sudden you realize you know what, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm meant to do. And it kind of just evolves. So uh, can you give us a little bit, because now I need to know a little bit about what happened to your sister and how that, and, and your sister and you did the podcast together, correct? Yeah. So we we had all the raw material together. I did all the the writing and the production and, and uh, all of that side of things and interviewing and uh, but yeah, she yeah we, we host it together, and and she brought in the psychologist on board that we have through it. So the story. Let me just rewind a little bit again and um, tell you about Con in the Con. So back in two thousand and eighteen, my sister swiped right on a man called Andrew Thompson on Tinder, and okay. she dated him for six months. You know, his mother came and stayed in her house with her children. It was levels and levels and levels of grooming. And, uh, you know, the day after she had deposited $300,000 into his bank account was the day that she discovered his real identity. But the kicker is 
he didn't know that she'd discovered his real identity at that stage. And at that moment, we hit record, which is probably an unusual thing to do, but we did. And we spent the next two and a half months basically tearing down all the cons that he'd created. And uh, it it got very crazy, like we were living in a Netflix drama (laughs) at times. We were like, who's going to play you in the drama? Who's going to play you? And I'm like, we look alike. You play me, I'll play you. Uh, And it was was really nuts. And, uh, you know, he even fled the country. We had to lure him back. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to give too much away. But. Yeah, no, because we want you guys to listen, but I'm just like, it's so fast. As you can see my face, yeah. I'm like, and it's 930 in the morning. It's early. I literally just got my kids off to school. This is when I typically walk my dogs. I was just telling Sarah, this is typically when I walk my dogs and they literally looked at me and were like, no, they two seconds before I was record, like getting ready to jump on live, they were wrestling. And if anyone has boxers or just bigger dogs that like to play and make noise, I, I literally was like, oh my God, no, this is not going to happen. So I had to put them on the other side with where there's a puppy. My husband's jumping on a call in like 15 minutes. I'm like, just keep them quiet. Please. I feel your pain. But my problem with my dog is that she snores so loudly. It sounds like we've got a seismic event happening by my microphone <laughs> most of the time. So I had to throw her outside. No, yeah. right. So I know that's what we have to do. So, but I'm just, I have been so excited about this because as I said, I've jumped into, um, I've been, you know, a couple times have gotten into the Stop the Killing, which I know you're going to talk about next. But again, guys, you want to go over and listen to Sarah and her sister's story. What is your sister's name? Her name is Emma. Okay, Emma. So you guys want to jump over there so you can hear that unfold. But that is how Sarah got into doing podcasting. So what is your what was your day job? Like, can you give us a little bit about where you were? I know you're in the UK. Just give us a little bit about like what you were doing before that. Yeah, sure. So um, my day job is I've got a property company, so something completely unrelated. But uh, I I trained as a social, like my, I did my degree in social work back, oh God, you know, 20 odd years ago. And then I went into sales and did different things, like completely went and had children and then had a break and then got into property. So I kind of always was drawn back to that kind of looking after the community. There's part of me that always wants to be a do-gooder. So, you know, when this story happened with my sister, our real motivation was to protect other people from being conned. And uh, which is why right through the podcast, we have a a psychologist and she is woven all the way through and she um, points out all the red flags that people can look for uh, and tell some really scary stuff. Like she introduced me to the word predatory memory, which was just horrific. Mm, right. But, um, you know, something we all need to know. And and um, the other scary one that she mentioned was a psychological mask. And what con men do is that they put on the psychological mask and reflect back to you what, what you're looking for. So they form this perfect, you know, person for you. Right. Um, and so having that voice through the, through the whole podcast is, is the point that we can hopefully stop others being conned. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, that's why I think, I mean, that's, what's so important. You, your sister was going through this and what you guys did, which I love, you took action to be like, we want to help other people not have this happen. So when she deposited 300,000 and you don't, you could say, nope, you guys got to go listen. But did he, was that, did she ever get that back? You need to go listen. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm joking. So um, episode four is like the craziest sort of Emma should have gotten Oscar for episode four because once she finds out that uh, he's a con man, 
kind of swings into action. But the only way that she can even get the money back is to go and carry on the relationship with him and go to the bank with him and get him to voluntarily give the money back across to her, right? So if you put that in your mind, she's got to convince a con man who's just conned her out of $300,000 to give that money back and put it into her bank account. But amazingly, uh, she manages to get like a massive whack of the money back at that stage, but there was still a a whole lot of money left in the wind, which is why she kept him on the hook and continued the fake relationship for for as long as she did, as you'll hear in the podcast. So, Mm. So, okay. So the other thing is my other questions coming up. So you were recording the podcast as she was still having this relationship. Yeah. What made you guys real like think, okay, he's not like listening to podcasts. Okay. So no, we didn't. No, thank God. We didn't release it when we were doing <laughs> oh, it. Thankfully. Okay, I don't know. Um, he would have definitely, the gig would have been up then for well, sure. Well, that's why I was like, wait a second. So he was not the most clever. Like, yeah, I need to know more about that. Okay. Right. No. So you recorded it. Got it. Yeah, exactly. We hit record. And then basically we sat on that footage for, I sat on it for maybe like almost a year and then COVID hit and then there was a roadcaster competition that was uh, like global Mm -hmm. and you had to enter a two-minute like little segment or trailer for for a podcast and I and I said to Emma hey do you know what I'm just gonna I'm just gonna try and whack something together and see what happens and we'll see you know if we want to move forward with it and uh, it it did really well. It got top in the UK and it became, I think it was like 14th in the world out of like, I think it was thousands of entries. And we were like, okay, this has got legs. Let's see what happens with it next. But I mean, we were going into a really personal story and we were really fearful as well because, you know, we knew that he could come back at us and we didn't know if he would or not. Right. So there was this kind of seesawing between Emma and I where one of us would be like, we should definitely do this. It's the right thing to do to put this information out there. And then the other one would be like, no, we can't. (laughs) We can't possibly. And then the other one the next week later would be the other way around. Like, no, we're not going to let him get away with this. This is ridiculous. And uh, the other one would be like, oh, no. So I think because there was the two of us, it drove it forward. Otherwise, you know, it probably would never have seen the light of day. And uh, yeah. Mm, so how old was Emma at the time when she was dating this guy? So she was 36 and okay. she had two young children. Um, she'd been divorced for about two years uh, and she's right, really smart. Like she's got her own business. She, She's the, the epitome of the person that you go, you know, never she, so. she won't get conned. There's no way. And, and yeah, that's why we did it because I was trying to unwind. How did it happen to you? We all had this conversation. How? Well, but that's what I think is so cool. And that's why I I love the story is because it's not, it's like the person that's like, this will never happen to me. So they kind of just turn and not listen to it. But the fact that it did happen to someone that, you know, because that's what I was going to say, like if she was in her early 20s, you know, not that, sorry for your 20 year olds, not that, you know, you're, but I know when I lived in New York City in my early 20s, I was not paying attention if I was being conned. I was just out to have fun. Do you know what I mean? So, of course, you know, yeah. And not that, you know, in my 30s, I wasn't looking to do that as well, but it's just a different mindset when you're in your 20s, I feel like. Um, so, right. So, she, and she already was in a relationship. She had kids. So, she had someone else also, two, you know, two other people that she was, thinking about. So it wasn't like she was going in this blindly and it still happens. 
And and having said that, like even along the way, when it started, we had red flags. So we had red flags that we took to Emma and Emma had red flags and she would then go and take them to him and, and come back with an answer. We'd go, that's not good enough. Go back again. The first red flag was the very first time she told me about him. She said, I'm like, you know, I'm the sister that goes, Google straight on it. She goes, sorry, you can't Google him, Sarah. He's had his identity taken off all social media. And I went, Emma, that's a red flag right there. I mean, that's our first conversation that we ever had about him. And she came back and said, no, this is why. And he had a story about how he had had his his identity stolen in America and spent thousands of dollars getting it wiped off so that it would be, you know, taken back, whatever. Right. Anyway, so – I was kind of like, okay, there's definitely red flags there. And because I live in the UK and my sister lives in New Zealand, uh, which is where I'm from. That was my next question. Okay, yeah. Right, right. Is your next question, where's your grading accent from? It's New Zealand. Um, (laughs) I love your accent. (laughs) (laughs) You must be ear ear deaf. What is it, ear blind, you know, accent blind. Um, So, yeah, when – I came over for the Christmas holidays. That was the first opportunity I had to actually meet him face to face. And I went into it. I mean, we'd spoken on Skype with him. Right. I called him I called him Dirty Andrew to his face because <laughs> I was like, you just sound too good to be true, Andrew. Uh, right. You know, I'm going to start calling you Dirty Andrew. And he's like, oh, you know, joke, joke, joke. But I'm literally just needling away, watching the eyes flicker. Nothing. Right. Not a zip. So oh. the day that I got to meet him, we were at the the lake, which is a really beautiful spot in New Zealand. And um, the whole family was there. I'm from a really big family. And I even had a couple of friends with me. And I lined up three sort of chairs on the beach, beach chairs, and then one in front, like, you know, an interrogation chair. And right. he rocks up to the beach. And I'm like, Andrew, that one's for you. Sit down. Tell me about yourself, dude. And... Uh, you know, we spent the day together, spent the night together, and I went into that whole situation. I mean, you can hear from what I'm saying now how sceptical I was. Right. I left the interaction with him going, he's a really nice guy, salt of the earth, very entrepreneurial, just, you know, one of these people that uh, fingers are mini pies, but, you know, Clearly loves Emma. I I was just completely conned oh as well. Gosh. He's so good, so good. That that's yeah. That was how it happened. Wow. I mean, that is that's crazy. That really is. I mean, that's one of those things that happens in the movie. So I love that you took it though. So you guys have to go over. You can find. Uh, why don't you, Sarah, right now? Tell everyone like wherever you guys are listening. If you're listening to this on Facebook, LinkedIn, or yes, uh, you know, ev- everywhere, uh, Twitter. You're like, well, okay, where where am I, can I see this? So where can they go and find you? Well, so Conning the Con podcast is on Spotify, Apple, all your usual platforms. And if you want to see, um, you know, there's a Conning the Con Instagram as well, which has got all the trailers on there. If you just want to have a quick high-level brief, go, what's happening? Uh, you can go on there as well. And then uh, I have at Community podcast, which it brings in all of the different projects that I'm currently working on. And can I just say, so – Keeping in mind that we did this, you know, like first time, no experience or anything. Last week, we had the most amazing week and we got uh, nominated for the International Women's Podcast Awards and we came runner up. And oh we, like, we were like, Sarah, that's amazing. We were like, 
what the actual I mean that is so, amazing it oh was gosh. so amazing like from you know it only released in February and we were kind of like I hope somebody listens to it <laughs> right, right, right. But you know what? But that's the thing. You and this is right. I, I mean, I talk about this in every one of my shows and on my Your Next Stop podcast. When you are meant to do something, whether it's, you know, if you believe in God or the universe, but whenever you're meant to do and you find your flow, doors just keep opening up. So, like, you just got the biggest praise to say, you are in the right space. Keep doing <laughs> what you're doing, right? I mean, that's hmm, exactly what so. it was. I mean, really, though. And as I said to you, I mean, I really enjoy everything that you're doing. And anytime I'm able to jump in, I'm always like, you know, I'm out with my mouth open, like, oh, my gosh, oh my, this is amazing. So oh, I mean, I, you, you. you really do have a talent, whether I know you don't like to, to admit that you do or not admit, but like say it, but you really, really do. I mean, you really oh, do. You're so real. Kind. And, um, and I like your <laughs> accent, but you know, I'm American. And so us Americans, we like... Yeah, they'll listen to anything. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, that, that that was really exciting. But you're right. Like I always felt like there was, you know, something that I should have been doing. And I think it was finding those stories and just, you know, that's that probably led me on to the next project that I, I'm doing at the moment. So yes, which I want you to jump into. But I do want to just get a little insight into like you. So have you, you know, I know when I think back, like, you know, how oh. did I get here? Oh, sorry. Anyway. I just, I accidentally muted you instead of me that time. I missed the question. Start again, oh. please, Oh, Julia. Yeah, no, no worries. No worries. <laughs> so I always, I, I look, look back and think like, okay, how did I get here? Like, what are the paths? Like, what are the steps that kind of led me to here? And I think about, okay, you know, and anyone that's listened to my story knows that I never thought of myself as creative. I'm dyslexic. So school was really hard for me, but I was a really good athlete. So I went to university. I played two sports. Um, I actually went into the um, corporate fitness because, again, I was like, okay, fitness, I'm good at. I'm going to do that. And um, very quickly when I had to take anatomy and physiology, I was like, oh, fuck. Excuse my language. But I was like, oh, this is awful. Okay. Yeah. No, I hear this you. Is not, this is not for me. At the same time, I injured my back and it kind of just made me like stop. I've always loved stories. I've always loved you know, to talk and communicate. And that's always been a very big strength of mine. Since I'm dyslexic, I'm very good verbally. But the written word and like, you know, reading and stuff like that was always I it was a struggle. So when I changed my major, I changed my major to communications, radio, television and film. Now, I still didn't think of myself as creative because somewhere down the line, whether it was a teacher or someone told me I wasn't creative to stick with, you know, what I knew and what I was good at. And that was sports. So I went into it, like I made a movie, I was a director, I acted in it, I was on the radio and I literally like everything just was like, like just blowing up. Like I was like, oh my God, I love this. I love this. I actually stopped mm -hmm. playing sports and continued to, you know, kind of find this new passion. I mean, it was really funny because people were like, oh my God, who are you? What's going on? Like, you're still the same person, but this is really cool. Like you're really into school for the first time ever right? Ever. I was just learning. Yeah. And I then took a sales class on advertising sales and I fell in love with it again because I was like, oh, I'm not the creative person. I'm not going into the creative part of the communications. And from there, I like, I literally fell in love with the advertising, but I loved the, um, the relationships and the communications of being in advertising sales. Moved to New York City again, you know, never, you know, was like, oh, I'm not creative. I'm not this. I'm not that. You know, these stories that we tell each other or tell ourselves. Now, I'm a very confident person. So it wasn't like I was putting myself down. But when you look at it, 
it is. It's it's putting limiting beliefs, right? So I was giving myself this story, this narrative, okay, I wasn't good at this, but follow the things that you were good at and not letting myself kind of open up. Fast forward, had kids, and I used to tell them, I mean, I literally had series, and I can't believe that I never wrote it down or did whatever, but it is what it is. I'm not going to dwell on it. But I literally had series that I used to tell my kids. They would sit and their eyes big. And anytime, mommy, can you tell us, you know, about what happened to Annabelle today? What, what, and I would just come up with these amazing stories. I know I can't. You could have been the next JK Rowling with your own little Harry Potter. Oh my God. And we had really fun ones. I mean, it was always adventures with a boxer, you know, and three kids. Cause it was like, you know, emulating <laughs> yeah. my family, but I, I mean, it was so fun and I loved it and I loved it. Still didn't think I was creative because I didn't think storytelling was creative. I thought creativeness was drawing or painting yeah. and I sucked at that. <laughs> so Yeah, I, me too. I hear you on that. You know, so that's where I thought. Then fast forward until like now I'm almost 48 and I started this podcast and it was, and I was even in, you know, before I did this, I was in the health and fitness world. And so I used to do a lot of social media, come up with my own posts, doing things like that again, never, you know, when my kids come home and when they were little, Hey mom, can you help us with this art project? Nope, that's not me. Find someone else. I'm not creative. (laughs) You're going to have to do it yourself, you know? And because I didn't like the arts and craft, I loved being outside and digging and, you know, with the kids, finding worms and doing all those things. So again, just kept giving myself that narrative of not being creative. And I remember I was walking the dogs and, uh, and that's where a lot of times I would get creative ideas. Like I always would like think of a, a different, um, product I can invent. And I would research it and then everyone would never go anywhere, which is fine. But it was always like, oh, this, especially like when I had kids, it was like one for nursing and then one for something oh else. Oh my like, God. I did the same thing. That's hilarious. <laughs> yes. Oh, I can't wait to like find out what yours was too. But mine, <laughs> halfway through, I was like, oh, that might suffocate a child. Okay. I don't think I could do that. You know, like, <laughs> different things. So, oh my God, I can't, I can't wait to hear about that. So that's the thing. So I would do all those things. And then all of a sudden, I was lis- I was listening to Big Magic because listening is where I you know where I my, one of my strengths, and Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And I was never going to read it because I was like, it's about you know creativeness. And I was like, ah, eh, it's whatever. I know I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. You know, blah blah blah. I listened to it, and all of a sudden, I was like, my mom. I I literally stopped, and I was like, what am I a moron? I was like, I cannot believe <laughs> I didn't think I'm creative. I am so creative. I'm just creative in a different way that I thought the narrative was, right? So then it just blew up, right? It just, the doors kept opening. It was like, okay, you are on the right path, lady. And you know, this just keep keep doing what you're doing, keep doing what you're doing. And so I think that's so important for the listeners to hear is, um, you know, because it's true. Like sometimes you don't realize and it can happen later in life. Okay, you know, I never thought of this, but it is what, I am meant to do. So I would love for you to kind of give, uh, and that was a very long, <laughs> long way to ask you a question. <laughs> but, but I would love to like to hear about kind of in the background, what, what were you doing as a kid or like, you know, as you were growing a little bit older, that kind of now you're like, ah, those were the things that kind of led me here. Yeah, it's an interesting one, actually, because I always kind of felt like I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I never knew. There was nothing that was kind of like, that's what I'm going to do. You know, and, you know, I've got a daughter now who's 18 and she's like, always, and she knew exactly what she was going to do for years. And I was like, how do you know that? Tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. Because it was just completely not what I did or anything like that. And so I just keep following my 
passion really a little bit. That's what drove me in different directions. And so I started doing uh, my university. I really enjoyed classical studies. So I started my degree in that. But then I was working with children uh, running uh, camps for kids that were essentially, you know, uh, disadvantaged or in bad situations that never get a holiday. And that kind of drove me. I'm like, right, mm-hmm. I need to be working with children. So then I changed my degree and did social work. And then <laughs> what happened then was when I graduated with my social work degree, I got the first gig I got was working as a what's called a tracker for the children and young persons services, the government agency in New Zealand. Right. And my my job there was basically to keep this um, 16-year-old girl, and she was 16 and she was over six foot and she was over a hundred kg. And I am, you can't tell, but I I'm I'm not that I'm a Polly Pocket size, um, and yeah, not by any means where we m- matched physically. If anything was to go down, which it did, so oh my God. job was to basically keep her safe and the community safe from her. So she had a like a police file like that at the age of sixteen, oh and it was a God. really sad story. I mean, she'd been abused, she'd become an abuser. She was very much fitted across lots of different agencies, but not perfectly into one box. So she was kind of in no man's land and that no man's land was me. I I was the stopgap. And uh, it, it culminated in her trying to kill me twice within the six months that I worked with her. <laughs> I know, it was a freaking nuts. Um, and so the first time was we were working, um, I think we'd been out for an outing somewhere and come back to, she was living in what's called a family group home. Right. And and we got locked out. And so the worst thing about the family group home, other than its entire thing, is right. that it was placed right beside uh, the mongrel mob headquarters, which is as bad as it sounds. So that's one of the biggest gangs in New Zealand. Oh my and it gosh. was, I know, like cheap property, maybe. I don't know. But uh, the government snapped that little property right back up and put a family group home in it. And uh, it was in the worst suburb in New Zealand as well. So we're locked out. She kicks off and gets, I can't even remember what triggered her kicking off, but all of a sudden I find myself lifted up by my neck, you oh. know, up to up to her eyeball. So, you know, I'm five foot, she's six foot. I'm like dangling there like going, okay, all right, what am I going to do now? And in my mind I'm thinking, oh, option one, yell to the mongrel mob, see if they'll come and help. And then I was like, no, I'm going to go option two. I'm going to go option two and talk her down. And and thankfully I managed to talk her down so that she'd put me down. But it was just like nuts. And then I'd go back home after. How after- old? I have to pause because I mean, literally, my, Sorry. Again, you, you, you were like, nothing ceases to amaze me. How old were you? I had just graduated. I reckon I was... I would have been maybe like 22. So you were young and okay. Oh, yeah, and, fresh as a daisy, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then the fact that they put this group home next to – so, like, you know, people that needed help, but they put it next to a mob. I mean, like, yeah. did, do you think some of those kids then got involved with the, mo- oh, the mob? The mob was like, hey, let's pick – I mean, I feel like there was maybe something behind that where they were getting paid. So, like, here, <laughs> here's some really naughty people. Let's get them involved with you guys. God, I mean, exactly. Could you put the most vulnerable people in society – young children right beside the most you know like 
you know, for all intents and purposes, they're pretty much evil, the guys in those, right. in those gangs. Um, yeah, let's just see how that flashes out. But uh, anyway, I'm, you know, thankfully I didn't have to call them because I don't know, I would have just probably been <laughs> throwing, uh, would have come out limbless or something. They right. would have all piled oh on. Who knows? Uh, oh my God, but, yeah. so crazy. So that was the first time. Okay, so I'm sorry. I had to, I had to interject there. But so that was the first time she tried to kill you. <laughs> yeah, right. And so keep in mind, I would then go back to my, my I was flatting at the time. My husband and I, would, I think we just got married child bride it's very young um right. and we were living in a flat before we'd, we'd moved out so must have been just before we got married and <laughs> i'd get home and the flatmates would be like oh, sarah tell me about what happened at work today and they'd be like <laughs> right. and it was just like oh my god you have to quit that as you're going to get killed it's nuts so after that incident like my husband was like you know this is getting a bit serious i'm like no i'm sort of polish my halo and off I went out to work again the next day. Uh, but it all culminated in this incident where I was going to take her to the museum, which was uh, an event in itself. You know, she's trying to get into some of the exhibitions, like the exhibits and, and immerse herself with them totally with over the, you know, velvet rope. I was like, oh my God, you know, how am I going to stop you? And right. then this is all before we had cell phones uh, and there was certainly no budget for a cell phone. And I was driving my beaten up like car, which was worth $500, which is probably worth two US dollars. And I got on the motorway to take her back to the family group home I get in the car. I cannot tell you to this day what triggered this incident. I can't remember. But all of a sudden, she's punching me while I'm driving on the motorway. And she's like, just giving it like welly. And I'm like, okay, oh my, oh my God, what am I going to do? This is bad. This is bad. And I, so I was like, going, okay, right, listen, I'm going to pull over because I think we both need in my I say that as I'm driving along, I haven't even slowed the car down. She rips up the handbrake and we do a massive 360 degree spin on the motorway. And oh my I don't gosh. know how many angels were on my shoulder that day that we did not crash into anything. Nothing even touched us. And all of a sudden we're just like, and then we're stopped. And I'm like, wow. This is a lot. This is way <laughs> above my pay grade. And so I managed to pull the car over and I said, I think you need to get out of the car. We just need to, hey, hey, at least you and me just have a little calm moment together. <laughs> right. Even let's away from each breaths. other. Right, let's yeah, take some breaths. <laughs> take some breaths. Um, and so she jumps out of the car and unfortunately the motorway is right beside the railway tracks. So she then decides to run down to the railway tracks and start sort of walking on those. So I'm like going, oh, my God, I've made this so much worse. So I'm stealthily like behind her, you know, jumping out of bushes just to keep an eye on her going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Uh, and then the New Zealand rail guys come along and say, madam, you're not allowed to be hiding behind <laughs> bushes near the railway track. I'm like, do I look like the kind of person that hides behind bushes on a railway track? Give me your phone. And so I rang the police and because of her police file, I think about eight cop cars came from either end of the motorway and just right. swooped in and took her out of the situation. But that was my heyday as a social worker because when I got <laughs> home that night, my husband was like, you know what, love, I quite like you. Um, I'd like to keep you alive. Right. I think you need to reassess. And that, yeah, so that was the end of my social work career. Um, but so, but so I'm, cause so when you, 
Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I talked a lot then. I'm very engaged no, I, in that story. <laughs> I, I understand. I mean, that's a story that everyone like deserves to hear because it gives, again, insight to who you are, right? And how this, like, look, James is like mind blown. Um, it, it is an insight. So when you would go home, you would tell the stories to, you know, so like that's where probably some of your early storytelling evolved, right? Oh. Because then you, you were thinking mm. about the details of what happened that day and it just kind of sharpened your brain and your toolbox, right? So it was like, okay. Maybe. Yeah. I, I think also even going back from that, I'm from quite a big family. So there's six kids in my family. And I think part of that is is finding your your space and I was the second. Oh, right. So, you know, the, the eldest one's the bright one. The second one's, I, God knows what I am. And then the next <laughs> one had a penis. So golden balls, we call them, you know, so it was kind of that, like, where do I fit in that? And then they just kept coming. Right. There was three more after that. So I think part of that. <laughs> oh, oh, that, that, <laughs> that was, was so loud in my ear, James. <laughs> yeah. Give me a fright. <laughs> um, so part of that, I think, was being able to work out how to hold an, any attention that, you know, an audience. Yes. And maybe that was part of it as well. I don't know. No, totally. But I think that's all. And that's why I love diving into conversations like this. This is why. And then I realized as I keep doing this, because I get that reaction from people often, like, oh, wait, I didn't think about that. Or, oh my gosh, because I'm just a curious person. So I ask questions. And I think some of it has to do a little bit with my dyslexic brain. I don't think the same as everyone else. So I sometimes come up with questions that maybe not everyone would ask. But I love it because I'm literally sitting there thinking, okay, like how does, and, and everything in our lives shape us, right? I mean, that poor 16-year-old girl, right? Something mm -hmm. obviously not very great happened to her when she was young. And it just kind of evolved. So I also, did you, do you ever know what happened to her? Well, after that incident, because um, she really had nowhere to go uh, and it had escalated to the point that, the, that they needed to keep her safe and, right. and the rest of the community, she ended up being locked down in hospital for five weeks, which was disgusting to me that that right. was the only place that they could put her. And it was an injustice in itself and, and that anger that I felt towards the system that failed her. Uh, and was failing our community in so many ways. The right. fact that those kids were in a foster home or a family group home right beside the mongrel mob was disgusting as well. Right. So, yeah, definitely those injustices really rolled me up. Uh, mm. Right. And so that's the thing. So you, so you stopped the social work because it was like, you know what? And, you know, and, and I'm going to kind of go into like a little bit of a tangent, but it's uh, interesting. So I'm dyslexic. My older son is dyslexic. My dad, my grand, you know, there's like a, my sister, there's, there's a lot of dyslexics. And it's interesting. My mom went into education and uh, I have a lot of relatives that have gone because it's, we have like cousins that are dyslexic, you know, there's a, it's, it's one of those things that you're like, okay, you're in this bloodline, someone there is going to be dyslexic. And I think of it as, as a superpower. Yes, school sucks. But what you do in life afterwards is pretty usually incredible. You know what I mean? So, but I will re remember so many times where I've talked to teachers that are not teachers anymore, or I've had interviews because they went into special education because they were good at school, right? So they loved school. So yeah. they wanted to yeah. go yeah. into school to be able to make a difference to someone else. And they knew like, okay, I saw the kids and, you know, that learned differently that were in special ed or whatever you want to call it. And so they went into special educations and special education. And a lot of times, and I shouldn't say a lot of times, but there's been 
a number of people that I've talked to that were like, I had to get out because I couldn't change the system because the system was so broken. And it was so frustrating and disheartening to that individual, which I totally can get because, you know, having to, you know, deal my, we were fortunate. My oldest was able to go to a private school for three years for specifically dyslexia, um, which was amazing. So, but like public school, even though we've lived in great towns with great education, it is so backwards. And I see the kids that don't have a parent advocate. like myself and like my husband, because I am in ears like, this is what needs to happen. If you we do all this, guess what? You don't have to ever hear from me. If this doesn't happen, guess you'll be hearing from me. Oh, and I can be brutal. Like I can be brutal. I am persistent. And when it is one of my own, and I see that something is not happening that needs to be happening, you know, I I go mama bear, mama bear comes out. Very respectfully, uh, not always, but most of the time I'm very respectful. Um, But so I see that. So like, that's kind of what you were thinking with social work, right? You were in that and you were just seeing, and it's like, sometimes it just breaks us down to the point where it's like, I know I can make a difference in something else. It's not like worth my own mindset and my own, you know, uh, your well-being, right? I mean, you could have died. Oh, absolutely. And I think, after that point, I ended up going and getting a job that I hated. I mean, I went into, I think, like recruitment sales and it was all just kind of like filler jobs, really, yeah. uh, that that were not something I was passionate about. And, you know, you know, I ended up coming to London after soon after that and uh, ended up pregnant with our first child. So we kind of went back and then that kind of whole career thing just kind of went on hold. And then I just followed that path of something completely different, which is I think I, I was – always interested in property and that that was kind of that road that it it led me down because I was at home and I was able to spend the time doing that when I had the young children and and doing up houses and things like that but uh yeah I think the other turning point was I had cancer about or must be almost I want to say five years ago almost now I must be coming up to my five-year cancerversary and at that point I think everything in life just kind of I mean I've always been a glass half full and always just been really I always felt very blessed and you know, even when I had cancer, I was like, gee, I can't believe I found that. That was bloody lucky. Um, You know, and I think everything just became sort of like, you only live once. I'm just gonna throw everything at it and enjoy it. And, and I think that's probably what also drove me on to have the balls to do the podcast probably a little bit as well. Right. You know, outside any sort of experience that I'd had or my comfort zone. So I, I, I don't even think twice about doing it. I just think, you know, if there's a message that's strong enough, and and that was why we did this one, uh, the con in the con was if it'll stop one person being con, job done, and and it did. And now the next project that I'm working on is is even more sort of like if it stops one person being killed, right? Then it'll be job done, and yes, that's and the I- passion behind everything I do. It has to have that real solid reasoning behind it. Right. And so I I want you to jump into it because I know we're coming to an end, but I I, I, I love everything you just said because that's what, you know, you had children, so it kind of changed your aspect there. But then the fact that you did the, I mean, you definitely have like a badass gene in there because the fact that you did, you know, with a 16 year old, you're almost killed twice. Like not everyone <laughs> can handle that. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not, not bad that everyone can't handle that, but also you fought cancer. Congratulations. Um, that, you know, that's Thank amazing you. in itself as well. Cause that's again, a mindset, right? I mean, you, yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, 
I have to say, like, you never know. Like, I always thought I was kind of like a, a mentally strong person, but until I had that test, I, I wouldn't have known for right. sure. But now, out the other side of it, I know my mental strength is there, and so, I don't doubt that ever because, you know, I went into every everything just thinking, right, I'm going to find a sliver of joy today, whatever it is. I was going in for chemo. I was like, oh, the nurse is smiling at me. That's amazing. Mm. That's what I'm taking today, you know, and it is a choice. And that was what I always choose to do is to step in and find that sliver of joy in everything I do. Right. Which is so important. And that is, you know, that's a whole, we can go, we can go on a whole tangent. We can go on forever. (laughs) (laughs) We really can, because that is so important. And no, like, you know, yes, there's people that have cancer that don't survive that go into it with the mindset. So I'm not, you know, taking that away from that, but it is also, I know talking to people, my, my dad's wife has cancer and she's had, I want to say like eight times. I mean like crazy. And mm. she's always so positive and, um, you know, I, I just applaud her for it because it has to sometimes, you know, knock you down at times, but it is mm. like, you know, getting dusting yourself off and getting up and being like, okay, how can I tackle this? So you definitely have that mindset. And that's why I think it's so cool that, you know, you did Connie and the Con and then the awards. I mean, again. Okay. So bring us into Stop the Killing, which I have joined many of these shows. And um, I usually can't stay for the whole time because it's usually going to pick It's quite up. long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, and then I always jump back in because it is very fascinating. I mean, it really is. So mm. tell us a little bit about how that came about and a little bit, you know, where people can find you and all that kind of stuff. Well, so when I joined Fireside, we had the creator call. And on my creator call was, uh, I think, about eight other people that had their microphones in their studios out and I was like on my bed going what have I walked into (laughs) I am not supposed to be here and um and then I think Fallon went around and was like you know uh tell me a bit about what you've done and and I was like I am a complete imposter I seriously (laughs) Fallon I don't even know what I'm doing here and at that same time on the call was Kate Catherine Schweit, uh, my new co-host. And she said the same. She goes, oh, yeah, oh, don't worry, Sarah. I, I tried to write an accent. I can't do her accent. <laughs> that was the same. Pra- I'm going pra- to practice it. I'm going to practice it and nail it one day. Today's not the day. Um, and she said, oh, don't worry, Sarah. I'm an imposter too. And then she went on to say, I'm the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And I went, well, <laughs> listen, I don't even think you know what an imposter is because that ain't it. Right, uh, that's your so, FBI. I think that's pretty badass. I think you're really badass and <laughs> you and I need to talk. So I stalked her on Twitter a little bit and then um, a couple of months later or a week later or whatever it was, I don't even know, time flies, um, she reached out and said, oh, yeah, do you want to do that interview on Fireside? And I was like, oh, my God, I can't. This thing is big. Why? I can't talk to her. So, cool. so nervous. And so I was, we did a pre-Zoom call to have a chat about what we were going to do. I was packing myself. And so I almost cancelled that call. I was like, no, she's going to, she's probably going to arrest me. I don't even know what I've done wrong, but she'll smell <laughs> something on me. I was terrified. And I, I had the Zoom call, which I'm so glad I did because we just connected straight away. And she is so down to earth and so lovely and a serial do-gooder. And we just really kind of ha- had that moment where we were just like, she goes, oh, you know, people say I should do a podcast. And I'm like, well, people say I should make one. Let's do it. Um, yes. And that's how Stop the Killing came about because she is, you know, the world expert in mass shootings, essentially, and I'm not. And that's the whole point of the program is that she's educating me the whole way along uh, and how we can protect ourselves as a community. And 
if we ever do get stuck in a situation like that, you need to have that muscle memory. You need to have right. thought about it to make sure you make the right choice for you and whoever you're with to keep yourselves alive. And at the end of each of the episodes, she gives me a little quiz, which honestly, I get them so wrong. Um, but yeah, but you're whole, so good. Yeah. The whole point of it is that I am the listener. I am, you know, the community as such, really. And we are the first line of defense because there's only so many law enforcement agencies out there. And But there's, you know, all of us in our eyes. And we have to take responsibility and actually put our hands up and see something and say something. But it's not something that we naturally do because we're not all curtain-twitching neighbors that, you know, right, are going to report things. And in those questions, in the very first episode we did on Sandy Hook, for example, she said to me, she gives me a list of all of the, the things about the killer's history. And at the end, she said, what would you have reported? I'm like going, mm, I don't know. And she goes, well, you know, he put up black plastic over his bedroom. So I remember this because I, I, I was in that show. Right. Yes. Blew my mind. And she said, he put black plastic up over his window for months beforehand. And I said, okay, but that's not a crime. She goes, but who would have seen that? The neighbors. Again, I'm like, that's not a crime. I would never have picked up the phone for that. And right. she said, you know, that's where we have to change our mentality because that might be the last piece of the puzzle that the police need. Right. You might have picked it up and he might have had, you know, they might have been getting social media stuff that was coming out or what, whatever it was. My lesson that I took away from it was it's above my pay grade to know how important that piece of information is. But that's what they're paid for. And they can't do anything if we don't pick up the phone and ring. And, right. Uh, yeah. And I, so I jumped into that room um, in the beginning because that was, that was your first show. And I, mm. I lived not even 20 minutes from Sandy Hook and my son was in the same grade as wow. the, you know, in the town that we were and his teacher actually lived in, in that area. Um, and so Crazy. her, like the town next to it. And so her kids, weren't they were a little bit younger so they weren't in elementary school but they i think that's the school that they would have went to so it was like so close to home it was crazy um and i i i never can wrap my head around how someone can do that like i just it just and i don't think many people uh, yeah can. yeah i don't think many people can but what i love about that show what you guys do because your co-host is so chill like he, when she says she's the <laughs> yeah. fbi and i'm like she is so she's almost like you feel like she's like cooking you know brownies and and cookies in the home and mm -hmm. she's so down to earth and so wholesome i think that's the word like wholesome every time i hear her speak i'm like wait that's so interesting like she's but i think you have to kind of have that calm demeanor right like if i was the, yeah day, i think I would, it would be whistleblown because i'd be coming in like ah you know like go crazy person. me too i'm coming in hot Hundred percent. <laughs> she just is like so. You could just see where. Okay, that's so interesting. That's a little insight to see what kind of person holds that position. And she really does. She's very chill and like very like you know. It's it is and fascinating. Unexpected, right? It's not the TV FBI kind no. of person that you expect. She is the <laughs> antithesis of it. The fact that she is um, so much of a do-gooder and like that's her whole purpose you can yes. feel it and it's all about like what can she do to help me what can she do to help you right uh, and and you know she's retired I've got that woman working like 
24-7, like we need to get this information out there, Catherine. So she's right. not getting even to, you know, but that's what she's doing with her retirement even. That's how much she cares she about cares. getting the message out there. And it's, but you, it's a beautiful yeah, thing. It is. And you can tell though, and that's why you guys are so good with each other because again, you know, I, I adore you. I really, really do. And I think that <laughs> it's you. so fun to hear um, like I literally like sit at the end of my chair because I'm like, okay, what is Sarah going to ask? Because you have that curious nature as well. So you don't- Very much ask, so. Yeah. You're not asking like just the run in the mill questions like, okay, like what, what do we- No, you're really thinking about it and and really like, you know, so do you prepare those questions before or do they come to you naturally? Well, they do come to me naturally, but we definitely prepare because we well, want course. to make sure that we- hit the points in each episode that we want to get out there. So each episode, it's very much, you know, this one's going to be about learning how to stop the bleed, but they're not right. going to know that they're they're learning it. We're just going to bring it up kind of thing. So it's really about just making sure that we can pack each episode with as much content as we can. That's, that's interesting. And, you know, I could go off on a tangent any which way, but I try and we both rein each other in because we both would be going. Yeah, no, you guys, are, you guys are really good. You're really, really good together and you really get to the points and you tell the story. And it's always the one thing that, you know, you guys also always say, which I think is really important. You're like, we're not going to highlight the killer. We're not giving him a platform no. to make him be like, oh, he's here. Nope. That's not what this is about. This is about teaching the audience. And that's what I think no. is so important. And that's exactly right. And when we, we, when we do the killer's history, we're not telling you the right. killer's history for uh, the killer. We're telling it for you and me to learn how to stop this guy or right. the guy that's, you know, in, in the neighborhood or what have you. It's really not about that. It's not about the killer, right. essentially. Yeah. Right. Which And so tell again. Th so that's just right now that's on fire side, mm. right? So stop the killing. It is. Tell us. Yeah. But actually, so we, um, I mean, it's completely different on Fireside when you listen to it live than it is as the edited podcast. So it's so much tighter as the podcast and, and we've, uh, you know, it, I mean, I'm really proud of how the podcast itself is sounding now that it's all edited up. And we've released our first two episodes. So we are two episodes on Spotify and Apple and all the usual places, uh, which we launched at CrimeCon UK in the weekend, which was a whole nut bar thing. And if you can see, this is my favorite thing. Look at my new pen from CrimeCon. Oh my little gosh, bit of yes. little bit of fun merch there. Yeah, um, that is, that totally a little, is. little, yeah, a little injection pen. Uh, so. That is out everywhere basically now. And we are dropping an episode every Monday. Uh, we've done Sandy Hook, really started with a big one, uh, yes. which is kind of the reason that we started with Sandy Hook is that's where Catherine ended up being tasked by the White House to do the first ever research into what was happening with the mass killings. Right. And that was the case that triggered that whole kind of research for the first time ever, which it was 2012. Right. Why had it not been done? Nuts. Yeah. Uh, and then the next episode we did was San Isidro McDonald's Massacre, which was, um, you know, another whole story of, of you know, I jumped into place, that one too. Yeah. Wrong time. And uh, the next one out next week, next Monday coming up. And you can find the trailers on Community Podcast every Wednesday for the And upcoming. that's running. I, spell, I spelled that right, right, Sarah? You did. Well done. Okay, yeah. okay. Well, that's <laughs> when you're reading like, it going, oh, community. I know. Yeah, I thought I was being so clever putting con no. in there and then everyone goes, community. It's not here. I'm like, no, it is. It's no, it's actually very clever. And it will, it's the more it's going to get out there, the more people will like, you know, it's going to be natural because it is actually very clever, but because of my dyslexia, <laughs> spelling is 
is I oh. suck. So I was like, oh shit, I got to write it down and then whatever. Well, that's not so, helping, is it? That I actually spell it wrong anyway. That's just being <laughs> even an extra level, isn't it? Everything's spelled wrong to me. So not please. Um, <laughs> so I actually probably would spell it that way. Um, funny <laughs> enough. So, okay. So that's on Monday. So you guys can find, you can go to Kath, um, Sarah's IG and listen about that with her and Catherine, right? So yeah. And, and please, please, please subscribe. It makes such a difference if people, as you'll know, Julia, if you leave a review um, and subscribe and share on your social medias, this podcast is not for any other reason than your share might be the one that stops your best friend being in a situation and, and giving them the power and the tools to save themselves. It's that It's that kind of important, but it's also hopefully really engaging and bingeable. It is. And you know what? I'm going to actually, literally, when I jump off of here, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to Yay. to rate and review because it is, it really, it holds your attention and it's just fascinating and in, in, a, in a really great way. And you guys are really good together. So um, anything else you want to share with anyone? Are you, is there anything else? I mean, I feel like you're doing so much stuff, which is so exciting. I don't know. I've got a couple of other shows on, on on here, but we're having a bit of a hiatus from our community show because it's been a bit busy with with crime kind of things. But um, and we've got a new show that came out of community, which is the Guilty Greenie, which we do, and we're going to do that biweekly on a Tuesday at, at uh, I think it's eleven p a.m. Eastern for you okay. guys. Oh, don't quote me on that. That's not my. But they can math, they can find maths. you if you go. Yep, you guys can yeah. go to um, Sarah's her yes profile and they can do that right so the the green tell me about the greenie again that's on on fireside yeah that's just on fireside at the moment but i think once we get some we'll, we'll probably yeah. punch that out and make a podcast as well and it's a lot of fun on that one because uh i'm, I'm again i am your average you know community person that has got no clue and i that's i think part of what i do is i find an expert and then i just tell them cut to the chase so I don't have to read the books. Can you just tell me what I should be doing? And so I'm with Kate Bagby, who's a sustainability, you know, guru. And uh, each week she's been setting me challenges, which have been hilarious. And uh, I've been recording what my family, uh, my family's, re you know, like reactions to them and things. And that's become quite like a laugh in it as well. So. Oh, I love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. We play the audio in the middle of it and uh, give the reaction to what's happened. And, you know, like she's made me not use the washing machine, uh, the dryer for a whole week, that kind of thing. Oh, and the yeah. kid's reaction to that is gold. Um, <laughs> you know, sure. a lot of damp school uniforms that, that week. <laughs> oh my God, not my problem. Hilarious. Not my problem. <laughs> that is hilarious. Um, okay. So Shelby just said, who's actually, she's been on my show. She's the founder of Keysock. She said, this is amazing and love how she said serial do-getter, do-getter. Yes. <laughs> I know. Isn't that perfect? Thanks, Shelby. Um, yes. Okay, guys. So you know exactly where to go find us. Um, Sarah, again, thank you so much. I mean, I was like, you know, as I was doing, I'm like, I want to have Sarah. I need to know more about Sarah. And I'm just going to do it on Fireside instead of doing, <laughs> having a Zoom with you because I knew this was going to be fun. I knew this was going to be entertaining. So guys, jump over to, you know, Sarah's IG, go and subscribe to Stop the Killing. That is what I'm going to do right now and, um, and rate and review it. And then again, Please. also, mine is Your Next Stop and also YNS Live, but you can find me in Your Next Stop. 
do the same, please. Go and rate and review. Sarah will be out there on my RSS feed, but I do it where it's going to be completely like this. So it's completely raw. So I have my live shows and my my pre-recorded shows, which are half an hour. And that is where I interview people that are just doing really cool things, but have followed a passion and turned it into a business. All right. Well, thank you again so much for joining. So thank you again. And just keep doing what you're doing. You're fascinating. Oh, thanks, Juliet, for having me. Yes, of Thank course. Thank you, audience. All right, guys. Bye. Bye, Sarah. Bye-bye. Bye.